start to play out some of these emotions that we haven't fully dealt with. And our body's so smart, it's almost like it'll pocket that away and we'll keep going. So when you really start to breathe into your body, you start to get this deeper connection, start to tap into your subconscious, and you can also start to breathe into these areas where you've been holding. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. I believe that everyone has a great idea, and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient, and more confident. There are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money, or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the podcast, we have Charlie Malt. Charlie works in the field of breathwork, and she's a one-to-one and group breathwork facilitator and the founder of Source, a breathwork membership. After a life-changing experience on a retreat, Charlie was inspired to start training in therapeutic breathwork practices, and eventually she quit her full-time job as a chiropractor to focus on guiding transformational breath journeys for emotional release and trauma release. She's been featured on BBC Radio and The Sunday Times and has worked with everyone from corporate sessions with Google to alongside shamans on retreats in Mexico. The purpose of her work is to provide a safe space to experience the healing power of the breath. We talk about what breathwork actually is, how different techniques work, human design, what it means when people say the body keeps the score, and how you know when you're on your path. I hope you enjoy. Obviously, very excited to have you on the podcast. Very excited to be here. So you, you trained as a chiropractor and you've been practicing in, I never know what the noun is, chiropractic. Yeah, because it, it doesn't make English sense. It's chiropractic. Okay. And you've done that for about four or five years. And, but then you discovered breath work on the side, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you. I would love to know or kind of go back to when you first discovered it and what that experience was like. So I actually, I did an acting degree before I did Cairo and I actually never enjoyed my study. So when I graduated, I had a really tough first job and uh, I was really depressed actually. I was living on my own um, and I don't know if you've ever had this, but I went from the first time leaving a uni environment and not having a group of friends around me. So I felt incredibly lost and I went on a women's retreat and we did all sorts. So we walked on fire, we did a sweat lodge we bent iron bars with our throats. And then on the last day, I think it was the last day, um, we did breath work. And I just thought, oh, it's an activity where I can just relax a little bit. And I was lying down and um, it made me feel very emotional. Um, it brought up something that happened in my childhood that um, had affected me for a long time. And I hadn't quite realized. So it was a really profound experience for me because it brought things up that I guess, especially when I was in that way, so where I was feeling quite depressed and disconnected, those kind of things, I didn't understand why I was feeling that way. So it brought things up. Um, it made me feel very emotional. And for the first time, I kind of saw um, 
there was a lot more to things than I realized, if that makes sense. It really started to expand my mind. Felt amazing to be breathing and being in my body. And I also felt very connected. So the facilitator who worked with me, she was with me pretty much the whole session. And then as soon as I finished, you know how you get that little voice? I was like, oh, I want to do this. And we weren't allowed to drink during the retreat, but we, we were waiting for a flight and we're in this bar. And at the end of the retreat, we had some drinks. And the lady who was the facilitator, she kind of collared me in the toilet and she said, I think I can help you. And I think you've got a lot of potential. Will you work with me? So then she was my coach for the following year, even though I was still working as a chiropractor. One thing I think would be interesting to clarify and define is what breathwork is, because a lot of people listening to this will never tried it. And we'll maybe be thinking, oh, is it sort of just like meditation? Is it just breathing? How would, how would you define it? And what was your first session like? Was it a specific type of breath work? So the first session that I ever did, it was conscious connected breathing. There's so many different types of breath work, which I think is why it can get confusing. Because you have breath work, say, in a yoga class, or you see these calming, relaxing sessions. And then you see, particularly on the internet, all this stuff about we're breathing incorrectly and breathing through your nose. And there's something called the Taiko method where that's really refining your skill on how you breathe. And then there's the type of breathwork that I do, which is conscious connected breathwork. How we breathe mirrors how we're living our life. And every time something happens, our breath is matching what's happening and our breath is also our control center. So, you know, if you think about a time when you were really, really happy, you'd be breathing really deep, really full. When you feel really expansive, when you're in a moment in your career or in your side hustle and you're absolutely in your flow, you're not going to have a problem with your breathing. It's very unlikely. I mean, yes, there are, you know, there can be physical obstructions, but really, when we're really connected to, um, I don't know, I don't want to get too woo-woo, but when we're really connected to our soul's purpose, when, when we're really happy and thriving, our breath is full and it's deep and it's, it's how we want it to be. We're connected to our breath, um, particularly when we're children, because we don't understand emotions when we're children. And even life, life gets so busy, so many things happen. When something uncomfortable happens or something even, say, traumatic happens, we don't necessarily always get a chance to safely process it in that moment. So what can happen is we can start to play out some of these emotions that we haven't fully dealt with. And our body is so smart, it's almost like it'll pocket that away and we'll keep going. So when you really start to breathe into your body, you start to get this deeper connection. You can start to tap into your subconscious and you can also start to breathe into these areas where you've been holding, which is why sometimes you can breathe and people are laughing, people are crying, people see visions from when they were a child. That's what happened to me. I want to talk about emotions being stored in the body, but I think let's come back to that um, it's a big topic and there's lots of interesting stuff to say about it. I'd love to to go back again to that first session and just understand but just what that felt like for that first session for you to come out having kind of accessed emotions and, and felt more embodied than you've ever felt before. How, how did that feel? It must have been really quite mad. Do you know, some of it is hard to remember because you're looking at six years ago now. But it was the first time that I remember that I felt really emotional and I was crying. 
But it was the first time where, um, again, I felt safe to be in that emotion and it felt like a good thing. It felt like a release. It felt like I'd almost been a little bit frozen in my body and I didn't know why. And it was the first time that I started to get answers to why I had some behaviors that I had. I guess I was quite closed off and lacked a lot of confidence. Um, and I didn't know really know why I did these things. You know, I try self-help books and things, but it didn't really get anywhere. So it felt like a relief. It was like a new understanding. It felt good to release and cry and actually feel what was going on. Because I think I've been quite numb for a long time as well. The great thing about doing breathwork on a retreat is everyone's on their own journey. And it soon becomes this very, well, it should, it should feel like this. And any breathwork session should feel like this. It should feel like a very safe space. Like you can just be vulnerable and share. So you had that your kind of first personal experience and almost immediately after that you thought, okay, this is in my in my path or in my life story to take this and teach other people. What were your next steps? So you come back from the retreat. Did you immediately start to train as a um, practitioner or a facilitator or were you kind of umming and ahhing? So I was a new grad as a Cairo. So I was also trying to be successful at that. And I was in a high volume clinic, which is like, which was what I thought I should do. So I was also paying for a lot of trainings in Cairo as well. And it was trainings like following a sales script and how to be really high energy and a lot of things that I'm not. <laughs> I was interested in breathwork and I would go and do breath workshops and things like that. More and more, I just wasn't enjoying my day-to-day -day job. So then I did a little breathwork training, like a week. And then I started doing workshops for clients. So we had a function room upstairs um, in the chiropractic clinic. And that's when I really knew because I would do a day, I'd do a shift and my heart would sink with every patient. And I thought, that shit, don't do that. Like focus on the person and I get knackered. I was always saying that I was tired. And then I put on these breath workshops at the end of the day and I was so happy. And I was like, who is this person? I felt in my flow. I was helping people navigate things. So even though I was babying it and, you know, I hadn't done my full training, it was starting to give me an inkling that that was more in my path. Before the pandemic, that's when I did my full training in breathwork and emotional release work. And then, like a lot of people, I was quite lucky with the pandemic because there were six weeks where I can you remember when people just had no idea what to do. So in terms of the chiropractic world, it was like, we don't know if you can touch anyone. And I had six weeks where I just started doing online breath journeys. And I was doing the online breath journeys and uh, someone from Hollister, so not the cool Hollister, Hollister, which is a big company, I think they do something medical. They contacted me and they said, will you do a workshop? And I did that. And then I did this festival and Google saw me and they did that. So I started making money in that way, started doing online sessions. So it all happened quite organically. Um, and a few months into the pandemic, I quit my Cairo job. It's been a 360 because initially it was just like, I love doing the breath work. I don't enjoy doing the Cairo. And that was that. But actually what I've realized is that, again, it sounds a bit woo-woo. I love helping people to heal. And that's what I love. What I didn't love is the whole pain model, people coming in in pain and the whole clinic setup. So Hollister, get in touch. This is your first corporate client. How yeah. did <laughs> like that. Did you feel like an imposter or were you feeling pretty confident in your experience at that point? So because I'd done acting, I always loved doing things like that. So I kind of had, in retrospect, an ignorant assumption that I was good at that. 
So I agreed on money for the first time, stuff I'd never done because I'd always been employed. And uh, we agreed to these sessions and I did the first session. It went great. Second session, the internet wouldn't work. I couldn't get my music up. I tried to do like these big emotional releases and I was getting people to like shake out their body and make noises. And it was a corporate gig and completely misjudged it. It was a really awkward session, probably the most awkward session I've ever done. <laughs> and she basically to me saying, please, can you send me a, a recording of this so we can review it? And basically, like, we're not having you back. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was just a combination of, I was still a baby in that. I was still learning, you know. I guess what I've learned over time is you've got to meet people where they're at. That, that was a fail. Luckily, I got other opportunities, but that particular one, um, that was the end of the chapter. So you, you've started with a couple of these corporate clients mm. and then you, you do one-to-one sessions and you also have your online pro, so program, like a monthly program. Yes. How did you choose all of those different things? And are you, is that, are you now pretty much full-time on breathwork or are you, where, where are you at in that journey of transitioning it from a passion to a full-time gig? I'm glad you asked me because I do think that I have different hats and I think sometimes that can come across as quite confusing. So initially I did a few corporate gigs and I set up the online membership. That's the first thing I did. And again, learning along the way, um, that was actually also a little bit of a fail because um, it was a great learning opportunity because it it meant that I recorded loads of stuff. So I have this whole, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I have this whole platform of different videos that I've recorded again can you remember at the start of the pandemic when people didn't have anything to do when they were at home I had a very active audience so people would come and do breath journeys with me each week and I thought okay I'll make this a membership and everyone and there was a lot of pivoting online so I thought suddenly I'd get loads of people on my membership and I didn't I think I got like 12 and that just kind of ticked on but didn't really make me any money but I didn't want to let it go because I had a really nice group of people And what happened for a while in terms of actually making it a business was I would have some one-on-ones, I'd have some corporate clients, I'd have my 10, 12 people depending on the month of source. But really, I was probably only making like a grand, a grand and a half in London, you know, you need more than that. So I would supplement it with Cairo. And I would say it's only probably been the past year where... I understand the corporate world more, so I do more corporate gigs. And again, I I just kind of follow my heart with this. I'm not the classical, logical business person. Um, And I started finding private member spaces because they were just starting to get into wellness and wanting that. So now are you pretty much full-time breathwork? So currently what I do is I do one day a week. So on a Thursday, it's my clinic day. And I go to Surrey and it's another person's practice and they're a lovely team. And I go and I will see patients for that day. But then that's it. And how did you find clients and people doing the sessions in lockdown? Because that's often the hardest thing for people is to know where to find these people. Have you ever done human design? No, but I've heard of it. So I am a, I don't think you would be. I feel like you would be a manifesting generator. Ooh, what does that mean? Mm, It means you can draw things in. you You can create things. And it means that you can get shit done. Like you're diligent and you create your own energy source. Great. That sounds like a good one. But it also means you can burn yourself out. Sometimes you don't know when to stop. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that resonates. That is an assumption. But um, I don't think you're a projector like me. You could be. What's so a projector? I, am, I am a projector. I hate the name because it makes you think of, you know, when people project on people. Um, but as a projector, it means I'm a natural teacher and leader. 
and I share my gifts. And that is how I get noticed. When I start knocking on doors and doing Facebook ads and like, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's like um, a repellent. It doesn't mm. work for me. Mm. So how I've always done it is I've found spaces where I can show what I do and people can experience it, even if I've offered the first one for free. And then mm. from that, what would happen is I'd have one person see me and that was when it was online. I'd have one mm. person reach out and say, actually, I'm going through something or I want to go deeper. Will you do it with me? Or mm. someone would see me do something and a car- another chiropractor would say, I've got a client. I think they'd be really good for you. So that was how. Let's let's take a little detour into human design because I feel like people are listening oh. to this. People, I know people are going to be thinking, oh, which one of me? What are the other options? I'm not an expert at this at all. <laughs> just what what are the categories and what exactly is it so it's a system where based on when you were born and what time you were born Mm -hmm. and what it shows you is it's showing you your gifts so you can be a generator you can be a manifesting generator Uh, I definitely recommend chatting to someone on this because it's fascinating um you can be a reflector you can be a manifester and you can be a projector and everyone shows up in the world with these different gifts. And the more that you can start to understand what you're naturally really good at and where you shine, then it helps you navigate your world. Like for example, for me as a projector, I always used to think I was quite lazy because I need a lot of rest. Hmm. So I naturally don't create my own energy. That might sound weird, but it means I need lots of rest, but it means when I do show up, you get a really strong, powerful version of me and I can really help people. But I've learned to weave that around my work. So day-to-day employment doesn't really work for me because being a worker bee, I get sick. As everyone does to a certain extent, but it's understanding yourself. And what also happens is you have different channels. So you have open channels and closed channels. So that's like um, in your head, your gut, your heart, and you'll be ruled by a certain thing as well. Like I'm ruled by emotion, by my emotions. And how you can find out if anyone's curious is um, Jovian Archive. Or just Google human design and there's a really great, that one's a really great website. You just, as long as you know what time you were born, and obviously what day you were born, it will give you all that information. Interesting. I want to move on because I feel like there's, okay, no, I'll ask one last question about human design, <laughs> which is for people listening who are thinking, mm, this sounds a little bit, mm, sounds a bit like star signs, doesn't sound very scientific. Would you just say, no, it's not scientific, but it has value and meaning or would you say there are actually there are there is evidence or there is there are things to point to um that show that it's that it's accurate and powerful I think that's a really good question and this is actually something that comes up with breathwork and I thought about it even before we were talking on the podcast because I think it really depends how you perceive science and how you perceive what is truth for you so for me it resonates not to the point where I think oh my God, I've gone and studied and done all these courses in it. I might, because I like to go into things that I'm interested in and that I feel drawn to. Like a lot of spiritual things or things um, that don't necessarily come in line with clinical data, you know, like mind-body connection, things like that. This is all quite new science, isn't it? You know, all the Gabo Mate research that's come out. I don't know. I would say if you're curious, check it out. It might resonate if it doesn't. Yeah, feels like it's a tool that people can use. And if they find it useful, then great. Um, let's move on because there's so many things I want to ask you. Um, 
And I want to I want to talk a bit around um, the kind of emotional holding space part of it, because mm. I've done one of your sessions and they're very intense and they're amazing. Mm. And it feels like a big almost a big responsibility as, as a practitioner or a facilitator to hold that space. And I want to just give an example, which is when when I did your session, the room started, felt very disconnected. It felt kind of people have just come in, you know, rushed, having a busy day. And at the end of the session, and this is why I tell everyone now to do breath work from your sessions, at the end of the session, it, the energy just shifted and everyone's far more open. Literally, people are having conversations more with one another. People are opening up more. People are sharing their experience. You know, there were tangible differences before and after the session in how people were connecting. And with that, I think comes a certain level of responsibility because, as you say, you know, we'll talk a bit more about some of the other sessions where, which are a bit more, um, people were a bit more expressive. Our, our sessions were, were slightly more, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, maybe contained. Mm-hmm. Um, but for ones where people are really going deep into and, and having connections with um, past memories and things like that, how do you navigate that as someone who's quite new to the space? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by it or do you feel like you're in a very natural place for you and, and, and you don't think about it too much? Oh, that's such a good question. And I have so many answers to that. And again, it's a whole journey. Um, I would say when I first started, I mean, technically, you know, I'd done my breathwork training. I trained as a chiropractor for five years. So I understood, I guess, boundaries in terms of what was appropriate with a client and what wasn't and what was safe and what wasn't. That was always first and foremost. And it's not to say that I've ever been 100% perfect because humans are unpredictable. You can never predict how someone's going to respond or someone's nervous system. The most important thing in any session is that people feel safe. I always, I always say I want people to feel safe and I want people to feel seen. And how my confidence has grown as a practitioner is some of it is experience. Some of it is is being in really intense journeys where um, something really traumatic has happened and I've been trusted in that space. And it's not to say that I haven't felt scared in the past when that happens and you see someone in pain, you think, oh my God, have I just opened something up? Like, who am I to do that? But I know that our bodies are really smart and your body wouldn't start to tap into that emotion unless you were safe and ready to do so. It's also a journey. So when I'm working with someone, I'm not going to be like, bah, like, you know how sometimes you see on the internet, people do these like crazy breaths, like, <sighs> and they're playing like techno music and it's, and it's just made intense to be intense. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but when I'm doing it, it's not about that. It's about going on a journey with someone and it's really human, as you said. So sometimes people might come and see me or I might do a session at corporate where people don't want that shit. They want some easy breathing exercises because right now they're busy in life and they don't want to open up this whole emotional wormhole and that is fine. Does that answer it? It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious like how it impacts you. I guess I'm curious like how you continue to yeah, protect those boundaries. I think especially with breath work because in therapy it's often quite, you know, it's been around a bit longer than breath work. So there mm. are more checks and balances. There's more safeguarding. There's more you know um processes and precedent whereas with breath work it's so new that you don't have any of that but actually as you say you know you do have a lot of similar experiences as a therapist of people opening up and sharing things so yeah I was just curious like how you support yourself I guess when when those things come up great question um what I would say, and another thing in terms of, um, you know, managing, like you said, big emotions that can come up and things, 
is having conversations and having a relationship before you even go into the breath if you're going to do a deeper journey and actually making sure that you're a fit and you, and you know that person trusts you but in terms of managing my energy in the past yeah I would find it exhausting but um what I found and this is just for me is that when I get exhausted it's when I'm making it about myself it's when I'm over trying or almost thinking I'm God I can't think of how to express this in another way but I'm so wonderful and I'm doing all this for you and actually it's not about me it's about the other person and it's about the other person remembering who they are how powerful they are yeah it's that cheesy thing and it's often said in a cheesy way that we have all the answers ourselves and when someone goes through a journey they're breathing through themselves they're doing all that like I'm just facilitating and honestly, for me, it's the greatest joy in the world. And sometimes we'll laugh. Sometimes it's not serious. Sometimes there's laughter in it. Sometimes I'm having a conversation halfway through. And we get to the point where we're just being human. Because that's all we're doing. We're just doing human stuff. You know, we're expressing, we're releasing, we're breathing, we're talking. And that's not draining at all. I want to talk a bit more about the emotion side of things, because I think we haven't explained quite why it has that impact or, mm. or whether it does. And I think often when you're describing to someone breath work and what it is and, 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 you know, what the experience is like, people find it kind of hard to believe that it would have much of an experience at all because it's literally just breathing. Why is emotion stored in the body? You know, when people say like the body keeps the score and if mm. anyone's read that book, they'll know what that means. It's kind of self-explanatory by the title, but the idea that the, the body holds unprocessed emotion. Is there science behind that or is that the wrong question to ask? How, how does it work? How should we be thinking about bodies storing emotions? I mean, um, that is a great book <laughs> as reference to that. But the biggest reason why our body stores emotions is what I said earlier, it's when we're not safe in a moment to process it. You know, like animals, when um, something traumatic happens, they, they will often shake after it. They'll do this crazy like shake and they will close the loop. So if something stressful happens and you have to go through that emotion because it's energy, right? So emotions are energy, joy, sadness, it's energy that's moving through our body. And to actually feel it, like, you know, when you have a day where you feel really sad, it's really hard to stay in that because it's not like, oh, I'll sit and feel it for half an hour. Like sometimes you'll really feel it and there'll be waves of it. And particularly in a busy world, we're not really set up to do that. Um, and also as children, we don't, and you don't necessarily understand the nuances um, of emotion as a child or why you're feeling something as a child and we often perceive things that happen from a child's brain as well so there can be a lot of emotion around that that just isn't fully felt through so we hold on to this energy in our body and that can be can be anywhere in your body it can be your heart it can be around your collarbones um around your diaphragm and it's also you know our mind and our body are really connected it also means that obviously we're holding on to those things in our subconscious as well. In day to day, when you're in your logical brain, we're not necessarily consciously aware of what's happening. You know how initially breathwork feels really hard? And then you get to a point where it's almost like your breath takes over and there's a rhythm with it. And then you start to move into theta states. You've got theta brain waves. And when you do that, that's when you start to access more of your limbic brain, which is all about memories and emotion. And that's when you can start to, I guess, remember those things that come up or things will start to come up that are there. 
obviously when again when we're in stressful situation and you're in fight or flight mode you're not really accessing those part of your brain you're looking at surviving or dealing with the situation so again it's really coming back to that safe space where you can access those memories and what happened and when you access this limbic brain as well you start to shift perspective because again you're not looking at things in your usual logical day-to-day brain way does that make sense yeah yeah i'm just thinking is it um is it always negative memories or emotions that are no (laughs) no because a huge thing is that um and i've certainly experienced this and i've seen it loads we also don't fully express joy i don't know if you've ever personally noticed that but you know when something amazing happens or you're at this amazing place and you're like i really want to feel how amazing it is in my body and feel that joy we can often be fearful of expressing that. So that's why oftentimes um, people really giggle and laugh and smile. And I've had sessions where my jaw is ached because I've just been in awe, like looking at how amazing everything is. We hold on to joy a lot. We can be scared of feeling joy. Mm. So with breath work, you can do these kind of deeper sessions less regularly. But if people were listening to this and they're thinking, damn, I don't want to hold on to joy. You know, I want to feel it when it happens or, or I want to process even negative emotions when it yeah. happens. Are there ways that people can feel more embodied in day-to-day mm. life? Embodied is the word because that's what I was just about to say. Because another positive part, it's all positive. It's a reclamation of your power. It's realizing how powerful you are because you're accessing those emotions, those emotional blocks, whatever it is for you or how you interpret it. You're accessing those things, you're processing those things, you're breathing on your own, which is very empowering in itself. And each time you do that, you're learning more about yourself and how you can navigate the world. And also by feeling these uh, perhaps more uncomfortable emotions, the, the more you can accept and go into that, it's like a wheel of emotion, the more that you can feel joy as well, because you're more open to all emotion. A good way to start with that is having a journal practice. So getting clear on what's going on with yourself. I'm huge on meditation, even though I teach breath. I think that's a big part of it. Stillness, sitting with yourself and getting curious when something comes up, being able to sit with it. And the more that you can do that, the more that you'll notice that you're open to joy as well. I guess the more that you can integrate these types of practices into your life, joy naturally comes because that's our natural state, right? to be joyful and to be happy to be here. It's just, you know, a lot can be thrown at us in life and sometimes we can forget that. I also want to talk to you about, um, I think it's called body mapping. Mm, yes. Um, how does it work? Because I know this is also something you do in your sessions, mm. which is actually, is it looking at how people breathe or yes. feeling how people breathe? And, and what what are you looking for when you're when you're assessing? So when I'm assessing, uh, the first thing I'm looking at is you can see where people are naturally holding tension in their body. And straight away, you can see what's happening with someone's nervous system. Like someone will come in and be like, what happened this morning? And they're like, I had an argument with my husband. How do you know? And I'm like, you know, you can see. Of course you can. And then I'm looking at how someone's breathing. So how deeply they're breathing. I'm looking for any imbalance. And then what you do is you have a look at where you're storing tension. And it's physical tension. It's also this emotional holding we've been talking about. And you can map out the body. So when you're looking at the left side of your body, this is all towards yourself. When you're looking at the right side of the body, this is towards others. And you can look at this, again, if we're going to the logical and the less logical, you can look at it in terms of logically where you're holding, where do I want to release? So when I'm doing breath work with someone, I'll place my hands on that area and I'll work through some of those tension spots. 
I'm also going into those energy blocks. That's often when you'll get an emotional release. So around the chest is all to do with compassion. When you press into um, above the collarbones, this is actually where we store anger. And when you're storing tension in your diaphragm, it's often when you've had some kind of fearful, stressful situation. You know how we were talking about those things that happen that you store? And the closer around the rib you go, you're going closer to childhood. So there's a whole story in it. Like when you're, when you have a lot of restriction in your hip flexors, it can be when you feel quite stuck in life and same stuck energy in your legs. And sometimes I do body mapping with people and they're like, yeah, but I've always had tight hip flexors. I do this at the gym, but there's more to it than that. It tells a story. And it also shows me as you're breathing um, where I need to help you release. And people will start to do it. They'll start to move their bodies and they'll naturally start to know. And then before doing a body mapping session, breathing and after, everything's often a lot more looser and open. And that in itself can completely transform how you breathe. Sometimes people come in and a lot happens. There's a big release. They might be feeling really stuck with something. There's a big release and they feel like they get some answers in terms of something comes up that makes sense to them. Um, and that in itself is obviously a shift. And then, and this happened for me on a retreat two weeks ago, I had a really big shift. And then there's a period of time afterwards where sometimes your emotions can be up and down for a few days because you can feel like a lot's happened. And then I think there's processing in that. And I think you tend to know. So sometimes you might want one, sometimes you might do a few. Sometimes people have one and maybe it's something like they want to leave their husband or there's a project that they've wanted to do for years and they just have this fear to release it. They've got a block in, you know, they're wanting to create something and then they'll do a session and they'll just do it or they'll just know. Is it they're accessing an answer or is it that the way that the levels of oxygen that are coming in or that, you know, that just even doing something completely new for a period of time helps them get into a different frame of mind and they can look at the same thing differently? When people do have revelations, mm. are there common patterns of, of what's causing that? Yeah. And one of them is just what you said. Even even just lying on your own and breathing and doing something different. Um, yeah, you get that break where or that moment where you're relaxed, you go into a different state and you see something from a different perspective. Sometimes it's just a case of confirming what you already know and we can often doubt ourselves or be fearful about change. Sometimes it's about understanding a bit more about yourself and answers come from that. And also, the more that you can clear out sounds bad because it's not like you're holding on to anything bad, but the more that you can clear what's happening for you and where you're holding, the clearer you feel. And I think the calmer you are, the clearer you feel, the more you can make decisions that are aligned with what you want and who you are. The most common breathing technique that people know of is the Wim Hof method. How does what we're talking about today compare to what they might have seen um, through that? Mm, yeah, that's a really common one that I get asked as well. I mean, I haven't trained in Wim Hof. I've done Wim Hof. I know a little bit about it. Um, from what I can see, a lot of it looks like it's focused on building up your stress resilience. So learning to become more resilient to things that happen to you. And it's very physical. You get a very strong physical response from Wim Hof. And the kind of practice I do, it's a lot powerful, but it's a lot more gentle. And it's focused on more the emotional release work, ultimately. Whereas Wim Hof 
combined with the cold and obviously you'd have to ask Wim about it, get him on next. But um, I think it's more focused on the physical and mental aspects, but from that point of view. So the stronger you are physically, the more mental clarity you have, if that makes sense. So I think it's kind of, there's a different intention to it and it's a much stronger breath. So you get a much stronger response in your body. I feel like, I don't know if this is right, but I feel like, you know, if you're being resilient to something, you're not really processing it. You're you're moving through it. Yeah, I guess is being soft and vulnerable the same as being strong and resilient? And I guess for different things, we need both. Mm. We need to be able to adapt to stress and feel strong in ourselves. But obviously there's also strength in being vulnerable and actually working through what might be happening. And do you think people get scared? I feel like if, so, if I listened to this podcast, I'd never done breath work. I might be like... I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> I was thinking, people think, oh, that sounds really quite a lot. You know, the reality is, A, it doesn't affect that many people in that intense way. It just can mm. do. How common is it that people get this kind of intense emotional release? Obviously, it depends on the person because I attract in the type of clients I want to work with. So a lot. <laughs> um, it really, dep- but that's if you want it, and that, and it, and if you're in a place where that's what you want to explore, it's there for you. It's something that you can access. But like I said, I also work in the middle space, um, which isn't either end of the spectrum. You can still have an experience in a safe environment completely. It doesn't have to be scary at all. And it's also remembering that you are in charge of your body. You can slow down the breath. You can breathe through your nose and you can stop. And I always say that in a workshop, especially if it's people's first time. But it's remembering that like you're in charge and everything is always done in a safe way and it's getting out of it what you want to get out of it. Is it quite common that people do a class and then they're like, oh, I really want to become a breath yes. <laughs> And I did exactly the same first time when I didn't really know what I was in for. If someone said that to you, what would separate someone who you're like, yeah, I think that could be cool for you to explore versus yeah maybe you know and it's also like it's the way that I've described it to you that's got my own stamp on it based on my gifts and what I enjoy and what's shown up other people teach completely differently and have completely different experiences with people so even if like you don't think oh you know that doesn't sound like my bag you know it doesn't mean that another type of breath wouldn't but I think it's natural you know when you have a life-changing experience or you really enjoyed doing something I just think it's inbuilt in us because we think, oh, I want to do that and help people with that. I just think it's it's an automatic reaction. And then I guess if you have really strong feelings with that and you feel like you want to explore it, following that curiosity, and the more you do something, like with anything, I love the fact that you have this podcast for this reason. It's about everyone's got their thing, haven't they, that they start to get fascinated by. And that was me. I couldn't hold back my fascination, even if I've gone a little bit more spiritual and woo-woo than I wanted to, and I have to really rein it back for corporates. But I can't help it because I'm following what I love. And I just think that happens organically. You'll get it once or or it'll be in your mind. You can't leave it alone. On that thing of recognizing your path and your calling, I think everyone resonates when, when they know they're into something and it's working for them and it fits them. But I think sometimes people struggle to identify what exactly it is that's why I love side projects I often recommend them to people mm. because I think it's such a great way to just experiment and play and take the pressure off well, based on your experience of sort of stepping into this and realizing this really kind of feels like something you should be doing and spending your life on 
what are those cues, those environmental cues or those feelings in the body that, that make it feel right? If you think back to when you were first being like, yes, this is something I want to be doing. How did you know? I knew. And to start with, I, I felt too scared to do it and imposter syndrome and all the rest. But I knew in my body the contrast between doing my day-to-day job. And I'm not saying you have to quit your job, but for me, it was black and white. It was so obvious. Feeling that sinking heart feeling and feeling lit up. It was like undeniable. And I feel like that happens with anything as soon as you just start following that itch. Because I think we get itches and I think we get desires for a reason. And if we follow them, it leads us somewhere. And sometimes it changes. Like, I don't know. I think I will. I don't know if I'll teach breath forever. I love singing. I'd love to do voice activation. There's other things that I want to do, but it's still on the same path. It's an important thing to talk about because I think sometimes people will, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I don't know, have like an irrational, let's say um, weightlifting uh, because Mm. it's so so random and it's not that connected in, in obvious ways to making a career. But people will be like, oh, I'm just suddenly really into this thing. And often they'll talk themselves out of it because they'll say, oh, but I don't know how I make money out of it or uh, I don't want to be this forever. You know, as you say, like, but actually it's this kind of unwinding path. And if you don't take that first step, you're not going to open up what those different possibilities will be. Do you feel like when you look at breathwork or when you look, especially when you first started, that there was a plan where you were like, okay, I'm going to move to doing this 100% of the time. Or were you a bit more like, I'm just going to try this and and see whether I enjoy it and, and go from there? There was never a plan. There were always dreams. I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that. I'd love to teach at a festival, things like that. There was always a lot of fear and there's a lot of fear around chiropractic as well, because um, I have really good relationships with um, a chiropractic community. And I really wanted to, I guess my ego wanted to be a big dog in the chiropractic world, even though I didn't enjoy it. And it felt really hard to um, step away from that. So like, it definitely wasn't easy. It's just, it just evolved over time. And I think one of the biggest things, and I think I might have heard this from, oh, what's his name? He has Palouse. Oh, I think he said it. Um, it's giving, actually giving yourself a time. And I don't know if you found this, Georgie, with the podcast as well. Sometimes things go off straight away. But actually, like, it probably took me the best part of two years to feel really confident that I can get clients in and actually have it as a viable job. I think sometimes it can take quite a long time and people get put off. Yeah, it's so hard because I think the the challenge that so many people have is like, is this not really resonating because I need to do something differently or is it not resonating because I'm not being patient? And I think that's a really hard thing for people to kind of differentiate between. Yeah, and differentiate, I was just about to say that. Um, is it actually what you want to do as a job? Can you just enjoy it? A hundred percent. You know, because sometimes that's the case as well. And, and you do something as a job, you're like, fuck, doing this every day. I think it's also like do I want to spend my time on this thing but then I think the question as you say is like well do you enjoy it because <laughs> if you you know if you're turning it into a full-time job you should enjoy it and if you're doing it on weekends you should enjoy it so it's kind of it should be quite straightforward but I think people you know things do take time and it's yeah it's so important to remember that can, can we go into actually any specifics I mean we've got a couple of minutes left but any specifics in terms of like numbers how specific do you want me to get I'm an open book <laughs> I mean, income is always a good one, but I feel like that's quite a personal question. Um, or number of clients. 
income's always an it's a one that people always really want to know, but it's actually mm. not that helpful because everyone's in completely different situations. And, and, it, and it's a and it's a safety thing, isn't it? It's like, do I feel safe and do that? And income was a huge thing for me because it was like, how many gigs or how many things do I want to say yes to that might not necessarily serve me or help me on my future path, but it just keeps me safe in terms of income. Yeah. Um, and it, obviously it depends how you want to live your life and how you measure success. But something, a place that I've managed to get to certainly currently is I have a lot of freedom. I can travel pretty much as, as, as much as I want. I can sleep on a Friday afternoon. I can randomly have three days up or do a festival if I want. To me, that's a really big value having freedom. Mm. And um, I know that the better my energy is and the more that I do, I can call in work. I have been very fortunate that I do have chiropractic, which I do love. It sounds like I've slated it. It's just I didn't enjoy practicing in the way that I did. But I'm very lucky that I can do a locum shift and I could make 500 and 700, 500 to 700 pounds in a shift, which is very lucky. And, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily get that with a lot of things. Um, so how it looks at the minute is I'm sure you picked up on this plenty of times with me is, you know, nothing is spreadsheety with me. It just works out. And what I'm at a place now where my diary is busy and I can say yes to things that I want to do and no to things that I don't want to do. So I'm trying to think what an average month would look like. It really depends. I might see four or five one-on-ones a week. They do take a lot of my energy. I might go into five, six spaces, whether that's a member space or somewhere else. Um, I might have on average, maybe three, four corporate gigs and corporate gigs are where I'm charging the most. You're looking at 500 pounds an hour, something like that. So when I do do it, and then what I have as well is because I've got the membership and because I'm doing retreats and odd days, I get various streams of income come in and it really varies. Like probably my average is between five to six K a month. And that with ease, it's not you know, feels icky saying that, but if anyone wanted to know, then yeah, I'm so lucky that I'm in that position that I can do that. And I hear people say all the time. In fact, I went to a job last week and all the members of staff there were saying how they can't wait for the weekend and that's how they live their life. And I was like, seriously, and they went, well, that's just what works like. And I'm like, am I just really lucky? Within that specific scenario of someone who's in a job that has a stable job that they hate, but want more fulfillment, which is a very specific and unprivileged place to be, but it is a place that a lot of people are in and experience. And I think with that, it's like, you know, you have the skills to have got this job. So either just enjoy the job that you have, you know, and just recognize, oh, actually, I'm, I actually don't want to do, I don't want the things, just be honest, because there is something that's keeping you there. And so it's either better to all be honest and say, I'm here because I'm really afraid, actually, deep down, I do want to do these other things, and then give yourself permission to do them. But I feel like people are very stuck in that middle bit in when they're in those particular jobs or scenarios where they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I, like I don't know where to start that's why I love side projects and why I wanted to do this podcast mm. like there are just so many people who don't need to change their job they just need to either appreciate their job more or just take a creative thing that they're interested in and do it on the side it's true and they're so amazing at executing the work that they do and it's like having that mindset that you could still do that with something else if you want to like you said mm. or just being like actually I am happy with what I'm doing I'm gonna make the most of it yes yeah 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 We've run over. I feel I need to gonna let you go. Yeah, of course. I've already kept you so long, but thank you for having me. Any plugs for anything that people should go to? I'm always shit at doing that. I'm always like, no, I'm fine. 
Uh, follow me on IG, Charlie Malt. That's where um, I'm getting better. That's where I share stuff. I've got three day retreats coming up with Loyo Retreat in July and August. Uh, I've got an online workshop coming up. If you feel called to do some breath or want to chat to me, then people are very welcome to reach out. Thanks for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. 